Father, we thank you that your goodness and your mercy are with us even today. We pray that we would have a taste of that this morning. As we consider what your word has to say to us, would your spirit teach us and guide us? Would you comfort us, encourage us, and change us? Whatever we need, you know better than we know. And so speak to us now, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. Christmas is rapidly approaching, and with it, shopping for Christmas gifts. We're on the lookout all the time for things that our loved ones would appreciate or enjoy. And in this context, it can be hard to talk about singleness as a gift, like the Bible does. Because we assume that it's a gift like our modern notions of Christmas or birthday gifts. But singleness doesn't seem like something many of us would really appreciate or enjoy. I once heard a speaker say, don't tell your single friends that it's a gift because it doesn't feel like one. I disagree, because if the Bible says it, we can say it. But I agree with the sentiment that it can definitely not feel much like a gift. So we need to talk about it with nuance and sensitivity and kindness. And we need to really explain what the Bible usually means by a gift. Something that's given to us not for our enjoyment or appreciation, but for the sake of others. What is the gift of singleness? It's an ability or opportunity that we are given to serve others. It may be short-term or long-term, but it's a circumstance of our lives given to us by a gracious God. As we've discussed singleness, we have been affirming that it's okay to hope and pray for marriage, while at the same time tempering your expectations of it so you don't desire it too much. We've tried to show that that marriage isn't the only solution to it not being good for man to be alone. After all, God is our primary companion, and God's people are our greatest family. We've seen how living as a single Christian demands sexual chastity and contentment in that. We've challenged us to, to trust God with wherever he has us in life right now. But at the end of the day, there's still a tension because it can be legitimately hard to be single. It's difficult to be content with where God has us in our respective seasons of life. And that can go for anyone. It's hard to be content in a difficult marriage, in a painful stage of parenting, in a tough financial or work or housing situation, or during long days or long years of school. Contentment is a challenge. Today, as we speak into this specific challenge of contentment within singleness, like I don't want to give singles pity, while I do want them to be heard and understood. So if you're single... I want to help others 
see the unique challenges you face. To that end, since I'm not single, I'll be quoting from quite a lot of single people today, more than usual. But then I want to help encourage you and all of us, wherever you are in life, towards an enduring contentment. If you're single, you can actually find true contentment in the Lord. Same goes if you're a kid, if you're married, if you were married, but you're single again. I'm not just offering a a feel-good, motivational pep talk when I say, you can do this. So, let's open up God's Word together to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We'll spend the majority of our time here today. Some of you might wonder why we even need to talk about the challenges of singleness. Maybe they seem obvious to you, or maybe they seem unnecessary to address. But we've talked about both the the ups and the downs of marriage and the ups of singleness as well. We also need to now talk about the downs of singleness. And the biggest reason we need to do this is love. Here at Calvary, I want genuine love to be shared between people of all stages of life. And what does genuine love look like? Romans 12 says this, Let love be genuine. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Seek to show hospitality. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And so if we just take those verses, genuine love between believers, including married and unmarried believers, looks like treating each other as family, showing each other honor, seeking hope and patience together, praying for each other, showing hospitality, rejoicing with the happy, crying with the sad, and losing our pride and know-it-allness, and associating with each other, no matter who we are. So, I want to honor our single brothers and sisters among us today. And where there are real challenges in their lives, I want to hear them. I want to help them rejoice, weep, and find hope in Christ. That's actually the first thing I want us to clearly hear God's word say to us today, that those in Christ should share concern for each other's challenges. Those who are in Christ should share concern for each other's challenges in life. So if Jesus is your Lord, you are united to him. You are what the Bible calls in Christ. And all of those who are in Christ are then united together as the family of God and the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 tells us that if one member of the body suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So if there are hurts or challenges within the body of Christ, we all need to feel that and even hurt and suffer together. And if there are things we need to honor in each other, we need to show honor and and rejoice together. 
Does your life have any challenges in it? Of course it does. How does it feel when you keep those challenges to yourself? Hiding them, stuffing them down, repressing them, trying to handle them all by yourself? On the other hand, how does it feel when others enter into your challenges with you? When they listen to you, truly understand you, pray for you, and support you. When they share your concerns and, and help bear your burdens. It makes it so much easier to endure or persevere, right? Like the old saying goes, a burden shared is a burden halved. And this is, well, this is what the Apostle Paul's experience was like with the believers in Philippi. If you look down where we've opened up to in Philippians 4, starting in verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, if you know some of the context here, Paul had helped found the Philippian church originally, and then they had become faithful supporters of his over the years. But apparently, there was a season where they, they hadn't sent him any support. Now, Paul never doubted that they loved him or cared for him. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So some unknown external factors had prevented them from showing it. But now, they had resumed, and Paul rejoiced in that. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Then jump down to verse 14. It says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Paul had troubles, challenges, burdens galore. Elsewhere we're told just how many troubles he had. Imprisonments and and beatings and shipwrecks and being left for dead, all kinds of things were these troubles. And the Philippians were concerned for his well-being. They sought to, to share in his trouble. And Paul commends them, this was really kind of you. It was kind of you to share in my trouble. So do you want to show kindness to fellow believers? Revive your concern and share their troubles. So how does this apply to our topic of the month? What does this mean for singleness? Well, it can be a genuine challenge to live out the single Christian life. So if you're not single and you're a believer, do you have kindness to share concern for them? <clears throat> Sexual chastity and holiness can be very difficult to live out in a sex-saturated world. Loneliness can seem like a constant enemy instead of a friend. People can be so insensitive or hurtful about your life's circumstances. It can be so easy then to, to give in to resentment or low self-image, despair, or depression, grieving a, a failed marriage or a spouse's death can be excruciating. 
Being a single parent usually means carrying double of a heavy load. And the list goes on. It's actually here from a a few single folks here. One single woman in our church said that Sunday afternoons are the hardest for her. After being around people at church and then coming home to a quiet or empty home, there's a, a deep emptiness that she can feel in those moments. Weddings can be challenging events. As Carrie English explains it, it, a wedding is two people announcing publicly that they love each other more than they love you. There's no denying that weddings change friendships forever. Priorities have been declared in public. She'll be there for him in sickness and in health till death do they part. She'll be there for you on your birthday or when he has to work late. Then there's the awkward or annoying speculation about who's next. Right? When are you finally going to find someone and settle down? Or worse, maybe, is when people stop asking, assuming it won't ever happen for you. Holidays can be hard, particularly for widows or shut-ins, but also for, for younger singles approaching or We're crossing certain thresholds of age. As Rachel Jones describes, each birthday and new year brings with it a growing sense of sadness or a rising tide of panic. And this is especially true for ladies, feeling like a a biological clock is ticking down. Related to this, some say that frequent conversations about children can be difficult when you don't have your own And you're saddened by that reality. Sometimes singles in the church are perceived as less mature than their married peers. Singles also often feel the pressure to always initiate things in order to keep friendships going. Like Sam Albury describes, some of my married friends have said something along the lines of, you know where we are and you're always welcome. Don't wait for us to invite you. On one level, this is very touching. But when several say it, the cumulative effect on darker days is to make me hear it as, we're not going to be thinking of you or pursuing you. We don't necessarily need you. And so you're going to have to reach out to us if you want to come over. And it will always need to be you coming to us rather than the other way around. Single woman in our church says sometimes she wrestles with the thought that I am never anyone's most important person. And that can be painful. These things are are just made worse if your biological family lives far away, or if you lose a good platonic friendship under difficult circumstances, or when someone you do get close to moves away and you get left behind. And sometimes it's the little things that can seem the most painful. As Albury says, it's the little daily reminders that we are doing on our own what feels like we should be doing with others. So those are some of the downs of singleness. And if you're not single, you may not have known or you may have forgotten. And now, don't misunderstand me. These are not all true of all singles all the time. And like we've established in prior weeks, there can be plenty of ups and joys and blessings that shouldn't be ignored. 
So I don't mention these things to give singles reason to grumble or complain. And I don't mention these things to elicit pity for them from others. So then, why would I bring this all up? Because we have an opportunity, Calvary. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. We can be concerned for each other, and we have the opportunity to care. We can be kind. We can share in each other's joys and sorrows, triumphs and troubles. I hope this would inspire humility, sensitivity, hospitality, and compassion. I also bring these things up to establish just the context that, that believers often find themselves in today. Because I am convinced that despite these challenges, contentment can be found in them. Philippians 4 teaches that there is a secret to contentment that can be discovered by those who are in Christ. That those in Christ can learn contentment in any circumstance. It might not be easy, but those in Christ can learn contentment in any circumstance. In case you thought Paul was about to make an ask for more support from the Philippians, in verse 11, he basically says, I don't actually need anything right now. Why? Because he had learned contentment. Look at it. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, what we usually mean by contentment, I don't think is what the Bible means by contentment. See, by contentment, we are usually talking about being happy or satisfied with what we have. And then how do we achieve this contentment? By reaching a certain level of living or a certain fulfillment of our desires where we won't feel the constant need or desire for more. So, in other words, we will be content when we get the right job or the right salary or the right sized house or on today's topic, when we attract the right person or have the right amount of kids. And then, at that point, we can truly be content and at peace, not striving for more. The problem with this way of thinking is that this contentment is impossible to attain. You will never become content simply by attaining what you think you want. Never. You will always want something more, something new, something better. Always. You get a, a spouse, and they'll always have some flaw that you wish could be fixed in them. Get some kids, and they'll always reflect your own flaws right back at you. 
You may not believe me until you get to some of these places, but your wildest dreams coming true will ultimately prove unsatisfying. Just ask Tom Brady or Taylor Swift or Elon Musk if they are content and fulfilled in life. The cure for discontentment is never simply getting more or satisfying our wants. God's words concept of contentment is not as much being satisfied with what you have, but more so being satisfied regardless of what you have. Because if you're always trying to be satisfied with what you have, you'll still always need certain things to make you happy. And if you don't have them or you lose them, you can't be truly happy. But if you learn to be satisfied regardless of what you have, it doesn't matter then what you have or don't have, what you gain or lose, you're already content. And anyone can learn this kind of contentment. Young, old, rich, poor, single, or married. How can we learn this? How can we be content like this? He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul, what's the secret? Well, contrary to what our culture that idolizes romance and sex might tell you, the secret to contentment isn't getting a man or woman to love you. It's not. So many of us fall into the trap of treating this like the answer to our discontentment. Like if God would just give me a husband, if he'd just answer my prayer for a wife, no, that's not the secret. As we've already established, that will never be enough to satisfy. In the musical Hamilton, Angelica sings, I will never be satisfied because she doesn't get the man she desires. But is her sister Eliza, who does get the man, satisfied either? Not with her marriage, she isn't. Human love never fully satisfies. On the other hand, neither can you satisfy yourself or be content only in yourself. Like in the Greco-Roman world, the, the cynics and Stoics hugely valued a form of self-contentment. They said you could be content in yourself, with your own inner possibility, being sufficient to yourself, in, in need of no one else. Independence, self-sufficiency, it's nothing new under the sun, right? We hear today, all you need, you can find inside yourself. But biblical contentment isn't self-sufficiency. It's God's sufficiency. Paul wasn't independent or immune from need. He depended on God for his needs. So how did Paul get there? How did he learn to be content regardless of his circumstances? 
I think we see here that he learned it experientially, like through his God-given circumstances. So I have learned to be content in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret. He had to go through both the lows and the highs and see that God was faithful through them all. And that's how he learned it. So, but what was the secret that he learned? Well, if you have Jesus, you're already in on this secret. Look at verse 13. It says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, that's arguably the most taken out of context verse in the entire Bible. Philippians 4.13 is not a slogan or a mantra to help us fulfill our, our dreams and achieve our dreams in life. This verse is not saying that I can do absolutely anything I set my mind to. I have limits. Look at it in context. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul's not referring to an ability to accomplish all things through Christ. He's referring to the ability to contentedly face all things through Christ. It's really those five final words that are the secret. Through him who strengthens me. You could say Jesus is the secret. That Christ is sufficient. He's all that we need. And you may hear that and roll your eyes. Great. Jesus is all we need. Yeah, I, I get that. But even if it's true doesn't impact me now. Like it, it sounds cliche or Christianese or abstract. Like what does it even mean? I get why you may feel that way. But I don't want you to leave here today thinking that way. Because there is real power in Christ and his gospel to change your life now. I want to offer you five specific practical ways that we can learn to be content in Christ, all right? So first, those in Christ can learn contentment in any circumstance by relying on the Lord's strength, relying on the Lord's strength. Notice Paul says that he can face any circumstance in life through Christ who does what? Superpowers him? Makes him rich, gives him a spouse, grants him serenity, now? No, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul knew he was weak and needed strength, and Christ strengthened him. You cannot be truly content on your own personal power or strength. It's a work of God in you. He might not give you superpowers, but he will give you enough strength for today. You realize that Philippians 4.13, like if we really understand what it means, is even better than what our distortions make of it. 
It means that the all-powerful king of heaven who died and conquered death itself now lives inside us by his spirit to empower us to live for him no matter what happens. That's amazing. Your strength for today does not depend on you mustering it all up. It comes from him. He gives us supernatural, sustaining strength for whatever life throws at us, whatever challenges it gives us. Strength to face loss or loneliness, tragedies or failures. So in the midst of your weaknesses and struggles and would-be complaints, are you running to his throne, to his word, to his people, to draw strength from him in those places? May we all learn to do so. We can rely on the Lord's strength. We can also learn contentment in Christ in any circumstance by rejoicing in the Lord's goodness, by being intentionally grateful and expressing your gratitude to the Lord. In verse 10 here, we saw Paul rejoice over the Philippians' concern. But notice what he says. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Now, I think the Philippian believers are the ones who sent the care package to Paul. But he doesn't thank them. Why not? I believe he, he wanted to stress that all the blessings he received from other people ultimately came from God. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now, he, in this, he exemplified a, a grateful, content heart resting in God's goodness to him. So the Philippians' concern for Paul caused him to rejoice not in them, but in the Lord. Now at the heart of all discontentment, I believe, is a distrust in God's sovereignty and or God's goodness. Singles, you may be tempted at times to think that God is holding out on you. Or that he cares about all the people having weddings and babies and long marriages, but he doesn't care about you. Otherwise, he'd be answering your prayers. In the midst of the challenges of singleness, you may start to think that God is not good. But he is. He is. And though you might not see it all right now, he is working for your good if you're in Christ. Paige Benton Brown puts it powerfully. I quoted this a couple weeks ago a bit. But she says, can God be any less good to me on the average Tuesday morning than he was on that monumental Friday afternoon when he hung on a cross in my place? The answer is a, is a resounding no God will not be less good to me tomorrow either because God cannot be less good to me. It is a cosmic impossibility for God to shortchange any of his children. 
By the way, to be content is to be godlike. To grumble is to be more like the devil. So as we've discussed, don't just compare the, the downs of singleness with the ups of marriage. See the downs. Be honest about them. But also see the ups and be grateful for them. Another of our godly single women here at, at Calvary wrote a blog back at Thanksgiving. And in it, she took the time to reflect on her life. And she said, I stand amazed at how many things I can thank God for. The Lord has proven to be faithful in all his dealings towards me. I do not deserve any of his goodness and care over my life, yet that is what I get. And she goes on to say how she is thankful for the presence of God, for the gift of hospitality and togetherness, and then, perhaps surprisingly, for the gift of time in her singleness. She says, I have been able to have more time to myself lately, which has been well used to catch up on activities that I had not been able to do in the past. Having time allowed me this week to enjoy an extended quiet time with the Lord, which nourished my soul spiritually. It allowed me to celebrate a friend. It allowed me to host. Time is such an ex expensive commodity because it cannot be bought back once it has been spent. Therefore, I am all the more grateful to have been given it in this season. Truly, goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. I am thankful. My heart is full at this moment, and I pray to be graced to enjoy every season I am in as the Lord would have it. Brothers and sisters, this is what contentment in Christ looks like. What are you thankful for today? Listen, if, if nothing else goes our way, if nothing else seems true, the gospel is still true. Christ really did come and live, die, and rise again in our place. And if you believe this to be true and confess Jesus as your Lord, you gain Christ. Nothing matters more than this. So I hope that you're already there or that you'll do this today. You come to Christ, confess him, and find that he's all you need. If you skim your eyes further down in Philippians 4, Paul tells the Philippians in verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So he says, his own needs are well supplied by God's grace. And then he turns his attention to their own needs. He reciprocates the concern. But notice, he's not concerned that God won't take care of them. He's confident. Verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And in this, I think we see a third way that those in Christ can learn contentment in any circumstance. And that's in trusting in the Lord's provision. 
If you're single, you might feel a need for community or friendship or intimacy. You might feel a need for financial provision, living off only one income. If you're a single parent, you feel all the daily needs of a family, but with the pressure on only you to provide them. If you're a widow, you can face all kinds of financial, material, or physical needs. So I'm not going to offer you solutions today to all your challenges in these areas. I'm not going to offer you financial prosperity or awesome health or an eventual lover. Those things may or may not happen. But I can point you to hope. And I can urge you to trust in it. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Sam Albury points out that when we, single or otherwise, get pessimistic and start imagining worst-case scenarios for our lives, we forget to factor in the presence and the grace of God, which will be there with us if those things were to ever happen, no matter what. It will be with us. And God knows your fears and your dreams and your hopes and your needs better than you know them yourself. Preach that to yourself. Whenever you're tempted to, to doubt or give in to anxiety. I love how Rachel Jones puts it. She says, when looking down the timeline of our life fills us with dread, it's time to shift our gaze. Far from being unloved, unchosen, and undesirable, single Christians are treasured by God with a steadfast love that never ceases. He's shown us that love by sending his son to die for us. His mercies are now new every morning. Contentment with our singleness isn't a status that we arrive at and then bask in for the rest of our lives. It's something we depend on the Lord for each day. The question any unmarried Christian needs to return to is, can you be content with being single today? Not with still being single tomorrow or next Christmas or Valentine's Day or when you're 30 or 40, but just today. If you can be content being single today, you can be content being single tomorrow when it becomes today and the day after that and all the days that follow. Why? Because God's mercies are new every morning. He will be tomorrow all that you need him to be. He will be tomorrow all that you need him to be. Amen to that. And he himself will be with you both today and on each of your tomorrows. And therefore, if you're in Christ, you can learn contentment in any circumstance by experiencing the Lord's presence. By experiencing the Lord's presence. In 1 Corinthians 7, a passage we've spent a lot of time in lately, Paul says in verse 17 there, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. 
Sounds a lot like contentment to me, right? Be content with living the life he gives you, not trying to live someone else's life or pining over someone else's circumstances. And then in verse 24, right as Paul encourages people to remain in the state they're in, he says, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Did you catch that? There let him remain with God. With God. So even, even if God has you remain in what you see as a, a subpar or inferior situation in life, don't for a second think that he abandons you there. No, he walks with you in it. Part of being content, remaining where we are, is knowing that the Lord is truly with us. How does this change our heart's attitude? How can this develop contentment in us? Callie Civil says this. She says, the more weddings I attend the more the feeling sinks in that I may never be a bride. But the feeling isn't altogether sad, because I'm already dressed in white, you see. I'm already pursued by someone who wove the very sinews of my being together. I'm already loved with a love that will outlast any other. I'm already known more intimately than I can fathom. It's so easy to think, that's so cliche. Just be still. Do you realize what that means? You're known just as you are. Even the inmost places of your heart, the darkest, the brightest, the most wounded, the most joyful, the most romantic, God knows and comprehends them to their depths. He cares for your unspoken and most intimate needs. There isn't a thought you can speak before God knows it's there. Dwell on that. And then she asks, do God's presence and promises carry so little preciousness that we can scoff and declare them cliché? May that never be. And finally, I, I want you to think of the, the famous Psalm 23. We sang it earlier. It says this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So again, the presence of the Lord gives us courage and comfort even in the deepest trial. But did you notice the beginning where David said, I shall not want, or other versions say, I have all that I need. What can satisfy us so much that we feel we have no other wants or needs? That the Lord is our shepherd. That he restores 
and sanctifies and leads and comforts us. I think that this gives us one final way that those in Christ can learn contentment in any circumstance, and that's knowing the Lord's care. Do you truly believe that you have all that you need in the Good Shepherd right now? All that you need for life and godliness. God says you do. If you find yourself anxious about your singleness, you can bring that to the Lord, casting all your anxieties at his feet. Why? Because he cares for you. Remember, this life is fleeting. Whatever happens, Christ will return in power one day. You and I don't know everything that will happen to us between now and then. We may be single, married, remarried, or something else. But you know what will be true? I know will be true every day between now and then, guaranteed. The Lord will love and personally care for his people, the sheep of his pasture. And look how it ends. Or listen, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely this will happen. And as Sam Albury concludes, the key to contentment as a single person is not trying to make singleness into something that will satisfy us. It is to find contentment in Christ as a single person. The key to contentment as a married person is not trying to build a marriage that can make us content. It is to find contentment in Christ as a married person. I need to know that while there is so much beyond my capacity to handle, there is nothing beyond his. We're not going to be able to get away from God's goodness and mercy. Let's aim for more of God, assured that whatever happens, we will never outpace his kindness to us. So yes, singleness is not only a gift, but it's also a challenge. It can be a struggle. But if you have Christ right beside you, There's nothing that you can't face. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Heavenly Father, please instill these truths deep into our hearts. Root us upon the reality of your word and the power that your spirit so mightily works within us. Help us even in the midst of the the hardest struggles we have in life to rely on you, to trust you, to look to you. And Lord, we do want to praise you and thank you for your goodness and mercy that follow us all the days of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.